When 13 little colonies won the Revolutionary War, the great experiment began. Was it working? Some thought the Articles of Confederation needed tweaking, and others thought they needed overhauling. A constitutional convention was called, but some refused to go. Hi, welcome to Finish Well Podcast. This is episode 189, Free Speech Gave Us the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Welcome to Finish Well Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing your home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Well, once the American Revolution battle was over, the Americans won the war, this plucky little group of 13 separate colonies. They were now an independent nation. They needed a brand new flag and they created one, but they also needed a government. Now, during the American Revolution, the Second Continental Congress put a government in place and it was based on the Articles of Confederation. So it took three and a half more years for the states to ratify it. But finally, the Articles of Confederation was in place, and there were several different presidents during the time of the Articles of Confederation. The very first one was Richard Henry Lee, who was the famous who said, we should be a free and independent country, you know, and he was the one who kind of set off the writing of the Declaration of Independence. And so, Here we have this brand new nation, and they have the Articles of Confederation, but there were some problems with the Articles of Confederation. The states had a truckload of power, so much power that though the United States of America, this brand new nation, had a debt, the states could decide if they would contribute to that debt, not contribute to the debt, but contribute to paying off the debt or not. So a lot of people began to be concerned because some states were doing what they had promised to do, others were not, and they just thought, you know what, maybe we need to get together and we need to tweak the Articles of Confederation. So one founding father to another kept saying, we need to tweak these Articles of Confederation, they just don't seem to be working. And then um, others suggested, well, why don't we have a grand convention of all the states and fix the Articles of Confederation? So Virginia elected George Washington and Patrick Henry. But Patrick Henry said, no way. I smell a rat. I'm not going. Patrick Henry and Richard Henry Lee refused to go, too. But James Madison attended, as well as George Mason, Edmund Randolph, and others. Five other states chose delegates. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Delaware, and Georgia all sent men to Philadelphia. Once the Confederation Congress endorsed the meeting, New York and five other states sent delegates too. So we now call it the Constitutional Convention. 
But this was a difficult meeting or group of meetings. You know, you've been to a convention at last several days. Everything is well orchestrated. I love our homeschool convention here in Florida. We have an itinerary. We have all different workshops in different rooms. Everyone's cordial. Everyone's nice. This was not at all what the Constitutional Convention was like. There were so many differences of opinion, and people felt this strongly and passionately. You know, you look around in our culture today, and we're in the same kind of thing. People feel things strongly and passionately, and that's kind of how it was then, because there were people who were very afraid of a strong federal government because they thought it would become corrupt and tyrannical. And there were other people who said, look, you know, if we don't get a strong federal government, someone is going to come and attack us and we're not going to exist as a nation anymore. So there was so much arguing, so many disagreements. It was hard to find a compromise. That, that's just the bottom line. They were they were so polarized. It was hard to find a compromise. I believe that our Constitution is a gift from God. And here's why. It is based on the Bible. And even when you have the whole idea of the judicial system, the legislative system, and the executive office of president and vice president, you have in it this reflection of God as our judge as our lawgiver and as our king. And they also, when they were adapting the Constitution, praise God, they had a biblical worldview and they knew that man was conceived in sin. And even after being born again, this treasure was held in jars of clay. And so it was hard for men to not at least sometimes stumble into sin and be selfish So this Constitution is filled with checks and balances and this wonderful blueprint for a Republican form of government. Our nation is the longest existing constitutional republic in the world. And one of the things that I love about it is a couple of different things. Number one, they open sessions with prayer. There were times when things got really bad and they went to prayer. and I love that they called on the Lord to help them. But also, free speech was in operation because these men believed so strongly in free speech that it was a God-given right. And the people who were for the Constitution and the people who were against the Constitution both had plenty to say. They said it loudly. They said it strongly. And the whole nation heard it. And then the nation was able to digest everything everyone was saying. And they were able to make some decisions and to sway this way or sway that way. And I just, I love this story of how the Constitution was ratified. I love the story of the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists because it's such a beautiful testimony to free speech. Now, many of the founding fathers were concerned there was no protection of individual and states' rights. Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, and Richard Henry Lee were very, very outspoken. 
about the Constitution. They did not like it at all. And, you know, we always talk about Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. And we talk about um, Thomas Jefferson. But they these men were very strong on states' rights. These men were very strong on individual liberty. And they were really fearful of another tyranny. And that was really something they wanted to fight against. Now, keep in mind that no one wanted the kind of terribly powerful federal government that exists today in Washington, D.C. All of them agreed that the government that governs least is the government that governs best. But they there was so we think about like there are people who want you know, us to be a completely communist government. And then there are people who want us to be a socialist light government. And the founding fathers would have hated both of those ideas because there was just too much power in the hands of government. And government isn't this being that is altruistic and loves the people in the nation. That's not government. Government is made of faulty men who have a sin nature and who are very easily drawn into corruption. So the checks and balances in the Constitution are not to keep the people in check. They are put in place to keep the government in check. So what happened is that the Federalist concerns were that they believed the federal government was too weak, and they were concerned about the debt, and possible invasions from other countries. They were concerned, if we don't have a stronger federal government, we're not going to be a nation anymore. Or we're all going to start bickering with each other, and there's going to be, you know, a blow-up, and we're not going to exist as a nation as a nation because we're going to implode from within. The concerns of the anti-federalists were that they believed a powerful federal government would become corrupt, and that would lead to tyranny. So how did they battle? So how did they battle? Of course, they battled by speaking to one another um, in restaurants, after church, standing outside, ready to get in their wagons to go home, they would argue. But one of the biggest ways that they battled was in the newspapers of America. And they wrote letters back and forth for and against the Constitution. Now, this is between the time the Constitution was completed and the time that all the states had ratified it. So there was this window there of a couple years. And during that window, this battle of free speech ensued. Now, I want to tell you something about the newspapers back in the day. Today, newspapers pretend to be neutral. You know, we're just neutral. We're we're just reporting the news. But newspapers are never neutral. Every newspaper has a slant. Every reporter has a slant. That's just human nature. That's why when I wrote my government book, I said in the beginning, I'm writing this book from a Christian conservative um, standpoint because I want you to know the truth. Like I I have a standpoint that I believe and that I write from just like every other person does. So newspapers back then were really open about their political views. And you had the Democratic newspapers, and those were, at that point, Democratic meant completely, you know, free individual liberties, no government restraints. 
And then you had the Republican and they wanted um, a government. And so you had different other political views, too. But the newspapers were straight up. This is what I you know, this is what we believe as a newspaper. This is the slant our newspapers take. So you knew if you picked up a Federalist newspaper, you were going to hear things written from a Federalist point of view. But if you picked up an anti-Federalist or Democratic newspaper, you were going to hear things from an anti-constitutional view. And that was pretty, you know, everyone knew that. And so if you wanted to hear both sides, you just picked up two different newspapers. So anyway, they battled, like I said, in the newspapers. And so... Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison wrote a lot of newspapers to the editor, uh, uh, wrote a lot of letters to the editor in newspapers. Now, there were other men who did it, but they were the big three. And, of course, James Madison is actually, you know, we credit him with being the father of the Constitution, so, of course, he's going to be for it. John Jay and Alexander Hamilton um, were both important in the American Revolution and also in the beginnings of our nation. Now, the anti-federalist letters were written by Thomas Jefferson, John Randolph of Virginia, Richard Henry Lee, Patrick Henry, and Robert Yates, and others, lots of others. But those were the big ones, Thomas Jefferson and Patrick Henry. And um, they're really well known. Give me liberty or give me death. And, of course, um, Robert Yates, Henry Lee, and John Randolph are lesser known today, but 50 years ago, they were all very well known. So these people who, the big writers are very important men in history, important in the founding of our nation and the winning of the American Revolution. So you would pick up a newspaper and you would read this letter by Thomas Jefferson, and he would just reel on and on about you know, the dangers of the Constitution, it would take away states' rights, it would take away individual liberties. Then you would pick up another newspaper and you would read a letter by James Madison, and it would go on and on about how wonderful the Constitution was and how it would completely transform all the problems that um, the new little nation was facing. So, and one thing you should know is they didn't sign their real names. They signed, actually, it's really funny, because they signed famous Roman names, Roman soldiers, Roman statesmen. And why is that? You wonder, like, why are they signing their letter Cicero? Well, it's because of this. The founding fathers were great readers. They read works by Samuel Rutherford, John Locke. They read a lot also of classical writings from the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans. And they were very fascinated by the Republican form of government. And at the very end, when, you know, Rome went through different periods and it was a republic for a few hundred years, and then it became an empire and the republic form of government be, was lost in the building of an empire. And Cicero was one of the great spokesmen for why it was so important to hold on to the republic. And so, of course, he explained the republic form of government really, really well. And he wrote just a lot of good stuff. So they read works 
like those that Cicero wrote. And so when you read those things, you're going to say, oh, my goodness, who are these people? But the people in early America knew those names because they were very well educated, very well read. And one of the things that is so critical to remember as a homeschooling mom is to preserve liberty, to preserve freedom, to preserve a constitutional republic requires a very educated people. You can't have people say, oh, I hate politics. I don't want to hear anything about it. Or I'm not interested in government. You have to have people who read. You have to have people who read both sides of the issue. You have to have people who read their history and know their history and know when a nation did this, when a nation put these things into practice, this is what happened. And that's what you'll see in these letters. They're quoting from historical events and saying, this nation did this, and then this is what happened. So it's very, very interesting to see how literate, how well-educated the Founding Fathers were. And one of the things that I love um, is to, you know, reread some of the books that they read because they just are so fascinating and I love the way they read and I I've been asking the Lord you know help me to be able to read some of this stuff because when you pick up John Locke or you pick up Edmund Burke and you start reading your brain kind of hurts a little because these are really they're really written at an adult level and most of the books written for adults now are written at maybe a seventh grade level, maybe a fifth grade level. So our reading abilities have really dumbed down. And if we want to preserve freedom, we be, need to become a well-educated people. That's just a little plug for reading, a little plug for setting aside time for reading. So anyway, back to the free speech. If there was not such a great belief in free speech, then one side might have tried to take over all the newspapers or one side may have tried to silence with threats and intimidation the other side, but they really believed in free speech. And so the Federalists won the argument. So this battle raged in the newspapers for a couple of years and the Federalists won, but the Anti-Federalists didn't give up. They both had valid points. I mean, in some ways, they were both right. The Federalists won. The Constitution was ratified by all of the, the states, and it divided power into three branches, the executive, the judicial, and the legislative. It was written in 1787, and it was ratified in 1788 and became effective in 1789. So they, the first president elected under the Constitution was George Washington. And everything was peachy keen, right? So the anti-federalists just picked up their marbles and went home and refused to play, right? No way. Because the anti-federalists believed strongly that there was a danger of tyranny. There was a danger of losing individual rights. There was a danger of losing states' rights. So the anti-federalists ran for office, and they got into Congress, and they got into the Senate, and they added the Bill of Rights to the Constitution. And I love that because so often when court cases are happening and people are defending the rights of states, the rights of individuals, 
they go to the Bill of Rights. And most of the rights in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, are old English law. They're just something that has kind of formulated over time, and they would know and, and adhere to these things because before they were Americans, they were Englishmen. And that would be trial by jury. You get the right to face your accusers. You can't have an illegal seizure and search. And all of those things were things that they were, you know, appealing to during the American Revolution or before the American Revolution to King George saying, hey, this is happening, but I'm an Englishman and I have those rights. So all these just taken for granted rights have now been put in the Bill of Rights and and put down in writing and added to the Constitution. So glad because I read in the newspaper about two months ago where a pro-life activist with several children had the FBI come in and do a search and seizure, and it was illegal, and he won his court case. And the case against him was thrown out. And that is so great that we have that written down in the Bill of Rights instead of just saying, like, of course, we all agree on that. So it's written down. It's in the Bill of Rights. And what I love is that the anti-federalists did not give up. They persevered to protect states' rights and individual rights because they felt that was very, very important. One thing I want to share with you is a life lesson from George Washington. He was the president of the Constitutional Convention, and he was our first U.S. president. He served for two terms. George Washington was probably the biggest peacemaker that ever lived. He loved people, and he loved people more than his own pride. In other words, he could be friends with someone. He could love someone, even if he disagreed with them. And he he was amazing. He had his first cabinet was very polarized. There were Federalists in it. There were Anti-Federalists in it. He had John Adams in it, who was a Federalist, a strong, completely to the core Federalist. He had Thomas Jefferson, who was an Anti-Federalist. And in his farewell address that he gave in 1797, he urged Americans to trust in God, live moral lives, and avoid entanglement with other nations, meaning mostly the nations of Europe. He urged Americans to stay neutral in any war going on with other nations. He also encouraged Americans to avoid sectionalism that would splinter Americans from one another. So that is so interesting. And I love that he basically said, look at Jesus, look at the Lord, live a godly life, and value the whole blessing of being an American. It's a great value. Now, a life lesson from the anti-federalists is that when you lose, don't give up. Adjust and continue to fight for what you believe in. If we didn't have the Bill of Rights that is straight from the anti-federalists, where would our individual and states' rights protection come from? So I love that the anti the uh, Bill of Rights was added in 1789 and it was ratified in 1791. And in my mind, the Constitution with the Bill of Rights 
is a complete package. The Constitution without the Bill of Rights is an incomplete package. And why do we have both? Because we have freedom of speech, because we value what people have to say, and we want to listen, and we want to understand one another. We want to be able to find some common ground and work together. And when our side loses, we stay the course if we believe that what we're fighting for is from the Lord. So anyway, that is a plug for freedom of speech and why freedom of speech is so important, because you need to hear what the other side has to say. And this is super important in our day and age. And sometimes we need to hear what the other side has to say, because we don't even realize like what their foundation is. You know, right now we're dealing with so much darkness versus light, but we need to find out why. Why are people taking that stance? What can we do to persuade them? You know, where are our persuasive letters that are logical and thought through? Where are our persuasive speeches that are logical and thought through rather than name calling, rather than just attacking the person dealing with ideas? And when you have a free marketplace of ideas and people are able to listen and people are able to make decisions, of course, that requires being educated. That is just a wonderful place to live. It really, really is. So God bless you. And this This 4th of July, and whenever you're listening to this, it might be another time, please realize how valuable freedom of speech is and do everything you can to protect it. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.